0: Thank you, Melissa and worship team. Super appreciate it. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome here as you find your spot and we continue in worship. Uh, Let me also pray for us. Um, Father, I thank you uh, for today. Thank you for Christmas. and We do praise you for Emmanuel, Jesus, and we praise you for your gift of life. Lord, as we come to the end of this series in the book of Ecclesiastes, we pray that you would um, just impart your truths to us that you would communicate through us, and that we would become more and more a part of who you are and who you want us to be. Lord, may we bring honor and glory to you, and we thank you and praise you for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome here, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. I know it's a bit of a different day after yesterday and the big exciting weekend, but we're thankful you're here and uh, what we're doing today is just wrapping up this series in Ecclesiastes give you a little heads up of what's coming um in the next couple of weeks pastor Chuck's going to speak next week and then the elders for a couple of weeks after that you may have seen the prayer request i have a little uh foot procedure i'm going to do this uh friday uh thursday and so i'll be down and out for a little bit and then back around after that and we'll begin the book of mark and we'll follow the book of mark throughout um, the um, all the way to Easter, all the way through that season, and walk chronologically with uh, Mark's account of the gospel up until the very end of uh, Jesus' earthly ministry in person. And uh, it, I think it's going to be cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We've been going through Mark in the summer a lot, encountering the incredible and this sort of the uh, consummation or the great, climax of his gospel. And so I invite you to continue to worship with us through that. But today we're going to conclude the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, I'm excited about that because it's kind of, it's a unique series. It's a different book. You know, someone early in the series told me, they said, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect when going into this series, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not one of my go-to books, but it turns out it's pretty good you know i mean you don't go to ecclesiastes necessarily if you're like just jumping into hey rejoice praise the lord thank god you go into ecclesiastes if you're more somber if you're more pensive if you're more internal but at the same time as you study this book what you see is that more and more it is about praising god and it is about bringing joy and glory to god the thing is is it's just a honest, it's just real, and it, it doesn't allow you to whitewash any of the difficulties of life or the questions that are out there, but it addresses them head on as a best friend who's truthful and forthright and candid and really, really cares about you. This is the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not just a downer, it's not just um, Eeyore, but it is truth. It is significant, it is deep, and it is meaningful. And so I hope that after this series, you've been a little bit more enlightened and you'll go back and reread it and look at this book and say, wow, what a cool thing that God has revealed to us through the teacher. And so today we're looking at the last part, uh, verse 9 through 14 of chapter 12. This is the end of the matter when all has been said and done, the whole summary, the final outcome. What is the chief end? How, how is life to be? What do we do? What, how do we make sense of it all? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning verse 9, it says this. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly uprightly he wrote the words of truth. The Words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. But here it is. Here's the end of the matter. When all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether good or evil. Hear then the word of the Lord. Lord, again, I feel like I should pray and just thank you for this significant and somber text. That you know all things, even the secret things, and you will reveal them in due time. We pray that you will reveal your word to us this morning as we search the matters of the wise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So focusing in then on the last two verses, because those are the end. You know, the the verses before that are the summary. Here's the words of the wise. Here's what the preacher tried to do. If you remember some of the graphics we had early on, he was doing an experiment. And he experimented with pleasure. And he experimented with wisdom. He experimented with knowledge. He experimented with all these different things. And it wasn't just a hedonistic search. And it wasn't just a a pessimistic search. But instead, it was an intentional, disciplined search scientific thought out experiment and this is what conclusion he came to after having tried everything coming to the end of it all what is the end of the matter when all has been said is done this is the whole duty of man what is it what is the whole duty of humanity one of the commentators i read said it like this and i just love it i've I've attached it to so many different notes And the way Edmund Clowney says is this, he says, our duty is to respect God's ordering of our lives. Our duty is to respect God's ordering of our lives. We've said it in a number of different ways throughout this series, we've talked about the word portion how that shows up in ecclesiastes to accept our portion no portion is ever the same no matter what if it's a slice of pie and you've measured out every single angle it doesn't matter once that thing is cut and distributed it will be different and every single one of us gets a different portion no matter how even or fair we try to make it there is no such thing as absolutely equal And the book of Ecclesiastes brings this to light and shows us that clearly, like, you know, one person to this, another person to that. We're all different. It's never the same. But whatever it is that God has given us, we need to accept that. Because this is our portion in life. And there are some things we can explain and there are some things we can't. We just have to be okay with that. We need to leave and cleave. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and that's the words given originally to the first couple on earth and described as the way in which a male and female become one and start a new family. They leave and cleave, and the the idea there is they leave one family and they start a new family, but as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, what He's saying to us is, look, there are some things we have to leave behind because we just can't make sense of them. We don't own them. We don't understand them. God is God and we're not. And therefore, those things that we can't explain, we cannot understand. It's only frustration trying. Leave those to the Lord and cleave to what you do have, what do you have, what do you understand, what has the Lord made clear to you? This is your portion, this is your lot, and this is why with the New Testament we can affirm this teaching to embrace our race. To run our race, to run the race that is set before you. You're supposed to run your race, you're not supposed to run my race, I'm not supposed to run your race We're supposed to run our specific race and God, the race organizer, has set out that path ahead of us. And there's no, I mean, there's no sense questioning his path. There's only to get to running and trust that he's laid it out right. Embrace your race, accept your portion, believe that God is God. And we are not. This is the whole end of man. This is our duty. The very best person that I know, besides Jesus, besides Jesus, of course, who does this in all of Scripture, is Jesus' mom, Mary. Look at the way things happened to her. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it's a sixth month, and the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, to a man whose name was Joseph, The house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. This angel comes to her and says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But naturally, she's greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid for you've found favor with God. doesn't feel like favor. Much of our lives do not. I wonder how many times the Lord would come to us in the midst of our troubles and say, Hey, you found favor. You'd be like, you call this favor? (laughs) Not so sure. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and be called Son of the Most High. That does not make sense. Mary, you're going to have to leave this. And you're going to have to accept this portion. And you're going to have to run your race. Even though as a virgin, this makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) You can't explain it. But this is the path God has chosen for you. And you're not going to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how or why you got pregnant. But you need to accept the reality of where you're at now and move forward with it. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will be no end. And Mary says, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? the angel answered her, look, the Holy Spirit so many things in our lives we don't understand and we have to just answer like that. The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary answers exactly as every Christian should. She says, behold... Let it be to me, according to your word, I'm a servant of the Lord. How many times have you come into trouble in life or something else? And me as well, and we want to say, but God. But the right answer is, Lord, let it be to me, according to your word, I'm your servant. This is the path you've marked out for me. This is the race you've designed. This is the portion you've assigned. I'm your servant. I choose to accept it. Whatever comes, Lord, your will be done. We pray that when we say, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. We're not praying for our will. We're not asking for what I want. I'm asking for what you want, Lord. Lord. May that happen to me and may I accept it. It's one thing to pray for God's will. It's another thing to accept it. The book of Ecclesiastes shows us over and over again. There is this sovereign God who sits outside of time and space. We human beings are limited and finite and small. All of our life is under the sun. But there is this one who is outside of that. And time and space are of no matter to him. And he assigns us our lot, our portion. And we're to accept it. This is what it means to fear God. It's a funny thing to say. To fear God. Because in our society, if I say fear, most of the time we think of that as a negative emotion. We associate that with bad things. And yet the Bible commands us over and over again to fear God. And says this is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear God? To understand that he is in heaven and we're on earth. Therefore we should let our words be few. He is outside. He is bigger. He is greater. I am smaller. And therefore I need to respect his ordering of my life. Warren Wearsby says this. He says an unholy fear Makes people run away from God. But a holy fear. Brings them to their knees. In loving submission to God. That's Mary. W.A. Elwell says this. Righteous fear produces reverence. Awe and obedience. And lies at the heart of successful living in the world. Oswald Chambers says it another way. He says the remarkable thing is. That when you fear God. You fear nothing else. Jesus says this too. Don't, don't be afraid of the ones who can kill the body. Worry about Him who has control of your soul. And then once you're focused on that, then what else matters? Fear God and keep His commands. This is the whole duty. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to fear Him. And live in humble submission before him. Behold. We are the servants of the Lord. Let it be to us. According to your word. That's why in the New Testament. Paul says it like this. He says hey look. Whatever you do. Whatever. (laughs) like It's not like there's church. And then there's politics. And then there's work and family and fun. No, no, no. Big umbrella. Whatever you do. There is no compartmentalization within Christianity. There's no separation of anything. It's all integrated under one umbrella. The umbrella of faith. And he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. For you are serving Christ. The motive is the fear of God. Everything unto the Lord. Everything. Number one. The first thing, the first part in verse 13, what is the whole duty of man? It's to understand that God is in heaven and we're on earth. I'll say it another way, uh, like this. If I were to do it in three points today, I would say this There is a God, He will judge, and what we do matters. There is a God. He will judge and what we do matters. Everything matters. If I was to come back around and give this sermon a different title, I'd just call it Everything Matters. The funny thing about Ecclesiastes is he challenges all these other things that we think matter, that we think are important. And he shows us when, when you live outside of the fear of the Lord, that nothing else matters. That It's all vanity. It all goes up in a cloud of smoke. But when you live As unto the Lord. Then it doesn't matter if you're tying your shoe. Or if you're changing a diaper. Or if you're conquering the world. Whatever it is. Whatever. When done heartily unto the Lord. Will bring a reward. That's why Jesus says. In Mark chapter 9 verse 41. For truly I say to you. Whoever even gives a cup of water. To drink to you. Because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The very single, smallest, simple act of service that you can possibly do. Even when you just give a cup of water to somebody else and smile and say, God bless you. God will reward you for that. As long as it's done unto the Lord. But if it's done for you and your own selfish motives or whatever else, it doesn't matter. But if done for God, then everything matters. Why? Because there is a God. He will judge. And therefore, what we do matters. When you look at this big picture of Ecclesiastes, the graphic you've seen out front, you see things like this picture of the world and God outside of it. You see the vanity and smoke of living without him. You see the two fingers of God and Adam reminding you of the fact That he is the creator and we are the created. You see this gift, which is life. But knowing that it is a gift and receiving it in humble submission needs. We live in fear of him because everything at the end will come under his judgment. But it doesn't end there. Instead, we are raised to walk in the newness of life like Christ. For there is a God he will judge and what we do matters. Here's a statement for you that I think is kind of fun. It meant a lot to me. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to you, but hang on to this for a second. Eschatology leads to ethics. Eschatology leads to ethics. Eschatology leads to ethics. What does that mean? Because there is a God. Because he created this whole thing, because he has a plan, because he's worked it out from beginning to end, then what's coming in the end determines how you should live now. The end times, eschatos, the the last things, those things will impact how you live today. Your thoughts about the future and what will happen impact what you do now. If there's no God and there's no accountability, then who cares? Do what you have want, have fun, and die because nothing matters. But if there is a God, and if there is a judgment and come, then woe betide, and you better watch out because there's more to come. Eschatology leads to ethics. And if it's true that God will judge, then everything we do matters right now. Every single act, all the way down to the little cup of water, all matters. There is a God. He will judge, and what we do matters. And the judgment of God for we who are believers in Christ is actually an encouragement. We tried to talk about that a couple weeks ago, but to say, look, because Jesus died on the cross in our place and paid the penalty for our sins, then we have been declared not guilty, even though we are. And as a result, we can live unto God free from the bad fear, but in some humble submission. To the good fear. And then we fear only God and we trust His judgment and don't worry about the judgment of anybody else because the judgment of any other human being is arbitrary and limited and biased. But God's judgment is all knowing and perfect. He knows your heart, He knows your motives, even when it doesn't come out right, He still understands. And therefore, God judges just. If there's anyone you want to judge, you, it's God, and then you can accept that judgment and say, "Okay, you're right. <laughs> no argument. You already know everything. I, I nothing is hid from you. Not what was in my heart. Not what happened. Not what they did. She said. He said. I said. You know it all better than I do. So, it's up to you. God's judgment is good, and as for those who have placed our faith in Jesus and let him take the punishment for our eternal sin, we can trust the judgment of God. Eschatology leads to ethics. And what we're doing then, in a sense, is we're just simply doing what the book of Ecclesiastes says and saying, accept our portion, leave it to God, believe in faith that he will do well by us. And when you believe that, you don't have to wrestle... With everything else. You can leave and cleave. Why? Hebrews 10.23 says it like this. For let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. Without wavering. Because he who is faithful. Like if God is good. And God is in control. And Jesus wins. Everything else is okay. The end is better than the beginning. This is why Ecclesiastes, remember, says it's better to go to a funeral than a marriage because death teaches more and the end is better than the beginning. Think about the manger, pretty cool. The cross, not so great. And the throne, which is better? The end is better than the beginning. Why? For he who promised is faithful. I want to conclude today's sermon like this. Basically, say, "Look, there's three things: there is a ju- there is a God; He will judge, and therefore, what we do matters." But someone in our congregation, a very sweet saint, reminded me of a song she used to sing growing up by Fanny Crosby. And uh, there's a verse. There's three verses in a chorus. I'll just read verse one in the chorus, and then we'll sing. And we'll call it a day. But it, it says this: "Conquering now." And still to conquer, rideth the king in his might, leading the host of all the faithful into the midst of the fight. Seeing them with courage advancing, clad in their brilliant array, shouting the name of their leader. Hear him exultingly say, "This is a quote from Ecclesiastes: Not to the strong is the battle, not to the swift is the race, yet to the true and the faithful, victory." Is promised through grace. There is a God. He will judge. Therefore, everything matters. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. Thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Thank you for being our righteous judge. Praise you for the future hope that you have ahead of us. That whatever we do, no matter how big or small. When done unto you, Lord, everything matters. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy.